Welcome back to this episode of Inspiring Minds. My name is Justin Starbird, and today I get to kick off season two of the podcast with my first guest, uh, Preston Pan from uh, EBM Technologies. Preston, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to have the opportunity to uh, to talk to you today. Um, didn't realize you're you're so close over in Ann Arbor. Uh, yet, as in the words, we're we're based in um, in Chicago. This year held the event, um, you know, where we were able to recognize EBM um, in Fort Myers, Florida. So really excited to to have you. So Preston, tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your role. Yeah. So I am um, a R&D engineer for the U.S. market of EVM technologies. Um, what I do mostly for the company is is to work on is to read relevant research articles, mostly on the technical side, um, and then reporting them back to the headquarters in Taipei. Um, another thing that I do is to try to attend on this trade show called the RSNA, uh, which stands for the Radiological Society of North America. Um, and, and at the trade show, I try to facilitate the interaction between uh, EBM technology or EBM employees from Taipei uh, and, and their potential customers. That's great. Well, you had some exciting news um, just last month as you guys were named an Edison Award winner. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate it. What has um, winning an Edison Award you know, meant to, to you and, and to the team? Yeah, yeah. I think to be able to get this type of international recognition, right, beyond just sort of um, the effort and the recognition we've gotten from from Taiwan, I think that that has been a really big deal for us. Now, obviously, with the RSNA, which is uh, based in Chicago every year, we're trying our best to kind of make our mark in the U.S. market. But to have this type of award to boost us forward, I think that was really greatly, greatly appreciated. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys have certainly put in the work. Um, so, uh, you know, we're excited to have you as as uh, part of the community now. So, um, it, you know, it's a it's a privilege for us too. You know, not just here in the United States to recognize companies, but like you said, um, to have folks from all over the world. Um, so, you know, it's been really exciting. Tell us a little bit about you know EBM Technologies and you know what it is you do, and then and then you know maybe dive into what you won for. So EVM Technologies, uh, we try to provide medical imaging systems. Uh, we specialize in picture archiving and communication system, uh, also known as PACS, um, as well as personal health record and electronic medical health record. So our company is founded in about 1988 in Taiwan. And so far we have about 150 employees located in four offices. Uh, this includes Taipei, our headquarter, Beijing, Tokyo, and Honolulu. Um, so, so far we have installed about 30, uh, so we have installed our PAC system in about 3,500 hospitals across regions of Asia, North America, and we're planning to enter the Middle East market soon. Um, and more recently, we started to shift our focus to um, mobile medical applications. And, and this is actually goes back to your question. This, this relates to the UDE app that we developed. Um, mm -hmm. so the UDE app, um, for people who might not be familiar, um, this app basically, basically turns an iPad Pro into a uh, medical image viewer and also a server. And then on top of that, you have um, artificial intelligence models that are integrated inside this app 
for clinicians to easily sort of utilize this type of uh, work that other people, that research engineers um, in AI um, companies have developed. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say that overall, that the model of, of EVM technologies is that we really strive to improve our products and services above and beyond industry standards for a better future in the healthcare sector. Tell me a little bit about some of the applicable uh, scenarios uh, that, the, that the application you know, fits into. Yeah, absolutely. Telemedicine is is going is kind of the the one major market that we're trying to hit with this app. And um, so telemedicine is essentially you know trying to uh, so for for a physician uh, like a radiologist to be able to view images of patients remotely, right? And this is especially relevant during COVID times, right? Where mm -hmm really want to minimize visits to the hospitals as much as possible and you know in particular with this type of diagnostic care from looking at images you can easily do this if you have the right tool and i think UDE is is indeed one of those tools that's designed to really maximize the efficiency of radiologists right so um i can give you uh, so so i guess in terms of how we started to have this idea um, a few years ago, um, some of the, the team members in Hong Kong have noticed that some of the, the, the physicians there, they just really liked the idea of being able, being able to carry the images of their patients around with them, right? So this basically mean, meant that they, they, they don't want to be uh, restricted to their offices, right? They want to be able to carry the, the images, but at the same time, it had to be very secure. Um, and on top of that, they would want to be viewing these images on a... Uh, uh, FDA cleared display so that if they were to make any decisions based on those images, it would be uh, entirely appropriate and there would not be any concern as to the quality of your diagnosis. And so UDE um, basically is able to leverage the, the specs of the iPad Pro and essentially turns itself into a image viewer for uh, physicians to be able to make these di diagnoses and stuff like that uh, remotely. On top of that, the UDE has the ability to operate offline as well. So you yep. can securely download images um, to the iPad Pro locally. So, so then, then you can view them and then uh, you, won't, you wouldn't have to worry about any security issue. It's, it's all taken sure. care of on the back end. You know, one of the things I, I think is so interesting is how you've continued to reinvent yourselves and continue to push the envelope in terms of coming out with new ideas and, and ways to do things. How do you, does EBM uh, Tech really go about commercializing, you know, projects and products? Um, I, I think related to that would kind of be the, our approach to innovation in the first place. So, yeah. so I can give you some insight on that. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, like I mentioned, EBM Technologies was founded in, in Taiwan. And um, for viewers or for listeners who are not familiar, um, Taiwan has a single payer healthcare system, right? and that's entirely the government. And so in, in a healthcare system like that, um, the hospitals who are our primary customers um, are going to demand solutions or products that are very effective, but also very affordable. So um, our company has always had to work under this construct, right? And so this, this, the, the, the main principle is whatever we come up with, it has to be practical, but it has to also be very affordable. Mm -hmm. So um, that type of um, principle has really pushed us to continually innovate so that uh, we can continue to come up with new things, but um, 
is you know it's always affordable for for the users. Um, now, somewhat related to that, if if the products were to be, for example, FDA cleared, right, mm -hmm. or if it were to be HIPAA compliant, right, the, these standards that typically apply to the United States and and you know potentially rest of the world, then usually. Um, the government in Taiwan is more than happy to to accept these products and and to endorse them. So, um, in general, our company tries to make sure that our product not only meets the standards of um, companies or hosp hospitals in in Taiwan, we try to make it very generalizable by applying it or by appealing it to um, the the global standards like FDA, like sure. GMP and HIPAA that I had mentioned. So given this principle of sort of effectiveness, but also affordability in uh -huh. our in our solution, um, I can briefly talk about kind of our, our innovation cycle and how we go about identifying a new product. So the, the step, the first step is, is really to rely on our support teams. Um, so um, with any hospitals that um, use our systems, we have support teams who are there to assist them with any technical issues. Um, but on top of that, they also try to observe any type of amend needs that they see in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So um, when they see one, they bring it back to the engineers. Um, and, and normally the engineers try and do a good job of, of staying up to date with the, the most current technologies, right? So we try and, for example, attend the, the WWDC um, from, from Apple, just try to be very um, uh, familiar with the new technologies that are out there. Sure. So once the engineers learn about the problems that are brought back by the support teams, they try to address them by come up with a prototype. So this might be a little, um, atypical because we, we try to directly uh, come up with the prototype ourselves um, before we reach out to uh, clinicians or other people because we think that by providing a prototype first this can then give clinicians some concrete um, ideas of, of what we're trying to achieve as opposed to um, having the clinicians list out a list of demands and um, not necessarily um, seeing the type of constraints that that uh, the products would have to meet. So with the prototype, we then uh, pre present the prototype to our potential users. So this could include clinicians or other opinion leaders. Uh, we start with, with the Taiwan market first, yeah. right? So at this point, um, we can start with a more pessimistic outcome, which is maybe we see we, we receive some, some critical feedback, right? Potentially mm -hmm. the cost of implementing this is too high or potentially there's not enough interest. So at that point, we, we either identify the roadblocks and try to address them, or we might just pivot to an entirely new product. So that, that's the more pessimistic side. But um, alternatively, we, we might also get positive feedback, right? If, if we, we um, hear that they're interested in this product and they want to actually have this in, in, in the hospitals, then we start to incorporate global standards uh, like FDA. And, and we also try to improve the functionalities. Um, and then I got to imagine the, the look and feel, right, as well. Yes. Yeah, the exactly. design, yeah. Exactly right. So one example I would I would it can give is you know if, if you were to have a product that works well but it works too slowly, right? Then mm -hmm. then the engineers can try to improve that um, up to or to to the standards that the the physicians might want. Um, and then once we have that type of product, we usually reach out to the Japanese market first uh, for for rigorous testing. And this is kind of just because um, the, the the requirement uh, that the Japanese market imposes on the market on, on our product tends to be more strict than, than other countries that we have um, dealt with in the past. And so mm -hmm. we start with that market, and then eventually we reach out to other markets in Southeast Asia, um, mainland China, etc. 
Sure. Like you were saying, a little atypical, right? But the thing that I find interesting is that you've identified uh, potential problems that you're already solving. So I got to imagine that a lot of the feedback initially is, is quite positive. Is that accurate or no? Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, and I think this relates to one of the points I was trying to make earlier, um, once you show a physician a product, right, mm-hmm. they, it, it's, it's quite likely that they will start to um, create this, this wish list of, of mm-hmm. additional features that they would like. Um, while it's, it's our goal to try and um, sort of uh, meet the demands as much as possible, we also have to make sure that our product is not not too specialized to any particular customer mm-hmm. so that we can sell it to other markets um, in other countries as well. So, so there's often this balance between listening to any particular customer um, and, and like I said, uh, meeting their, their demands and, and also keeping it generalizable enough for others to be able to use the product as well. Well, so as you do that, uh, and you're listening, you know, for feedback, both you know, positive and, and potentially negative. Are you, uh, you know, creating milestones, or are you, you know, um, you know, marking progress in in some way? And, and what does that look like, you know, before you, you quote achieve success? So within the engineering part, right? Oftentimes there are very specific milestones, like 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 you mentioned, right? And I think that is going to be more product dependent, right? Um, so as an example, right, um, the the UDE app, right? It has the ability to integrate um, artificial intelligence models that are developed by other companies, mm-hmm. right? And so clearly one of the goals would be. Um, can you successfully convert whatever model that had that they had generated in, in whatever language um, of their choice to um, the core ML model or the core ML language that Apple uses, right, on its iPad Pro? Um, and so that would be one example of, of a milestone that would have to be reached um, before this type of uh, feature can can make it into into the product that we then sell. That's and it, and then as you go through the process, um, you know, how do you determine it, that the that the project is going to move on to the next step? Right, right. I, I think this is uh, definitely dependent on the amount of feedback that we're getting. Right, mm-hmm. as we continue to improve the product, or maybe not necessarily improve right because because maybe we are making it faster but potentially at a at an increased cost where we're continually engaging in in conversations with our with our user group to make sure that whatever we come up with is is again you know going back to the principle practical but also affordable at the same time and so this is kind of the process that we continually to go through as we refine the product so what was the journey like you know with the with the UDE app and how how long did it take Right, right. So I think with the UDE app, um, really, it probably started seven years ago or so. So seven years ago was when our CEO started to to notice that well, the iPad Pro um, has these really incredible specs, right? Mm-hmm. And the specs relate to, you know, this is like the resolution, uh, the amount of storage actually is, is a big one too, uh, because right, the, the offline uh, storing locally, you want to have enough storage there um, along with its, its incredible computing power. Mm-hmm. So with these features, right? The iPad Pro was essentially this um, incredibly powerful piece of hardware. And we thought that if we could um, accompany it with a well-designed software, then we could um, really, sort of 
come up with an alternative for radiologists to to practice really right and so so it started about seven years ago now uh, the process of converting um, the PAC system that we had written um, for PCs to to um, an iOS based product that process definitely took a while yeah. Um, yeah, because we, 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 we wrote our PC system from mm -hmm. scratch, right? So it was basically really core. Cool. It was really core to, to our technology and our company as a whole. And so we wanted to make sure that as we make this transition to um, iOS-based products, we could sort of maintain that same amount of domain expertise Mm -hmm. uh, within within the PAC system, but e even if it's on a different platform. And so we, we spent a lot of time translating the code um, very, very carefully, uh, making sure that um, every step of the way um, it was passing, you know, different types of tests, uh, just so that the product that we came up with at the very end, the UDE, would have the same amount of reliability um, as our state-of-the-art PAC system that's been being, you know, that's been used in hospitals for more than 20, for more than 20 years. Right you know, now you're an established company and in a leader of industry, what are some things that startups in the, not just your category, but, but across the Edison Awards community, you know, can use as steps to, to follow and emulate that, the, the success that you've, you've seen so far. Right. So I, I think that, um, well, because our company has its roots in the medical field and sort of the medical imaging field, uh, maybe I can, uh, focus my my comment on on just this particular field yeah, just sure. because this is kind of our, our domain expertise. Um, I think one thing to really I don't want you to give away your secret sauce either. Though, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, definitely. <laughs> right. I I think one thing, and I've mentioned this a few times before, but one thing for startups in the medical field <laughs> to be very aware of, you know, um, right off the bat, is that there is going to be quite a bit of upfront investment in terms of um, satisfying or being compliant to these regulatory standards like FDA, like, like GMP and, and HIPAA, right? These standards traditionally are, um, to, to, to fully be compliant to them, it takes an entire team, right? A quality assurance team or a regulatory team to take care of the documentation carefully throughout the way, right? So I think that is important for a startup company uh, to keep in mind, especially if it intends to um, basically have um, an entire market, right? Yeah. Because the, the alternative is for the startup company to be focused on just the technology itself. Which is entirely possible as well, right? You can you can have if you have insight into the into the needs of hospitals, then you can you can try to address them by incorporating the most recent technologies. Um, you can try you can try and create a prototype, you can patent the technology, and then eventually sell it to the hospitals. Um, it, but if you were to focus strictly with this or on, on this technical route, then eventually you might have to seek regulatory consult from other companies, right? So that you your product can be FDA cleared and GMP compliant and things like that. Well, yeah, you still have to follow the checklist. And so you guys have navigated that brilliantly, um, being able to you know, do that uh, across not just um, the country, but <laughs> really worldwide. And those are things I think that uh, startups can look up to you and emulate. 
how do you go about uh, creating something around this, like a like a business development strategy or or a sales strategy? You know, once you once you get to the point in the life cycle of the product or the project where you know it's going to you know uh, be something that you're going to want to commercialize, how do you yeah. how do you start with that? So um, we have two major sort of marketing strategies that our, comp- that, that our company uses. I'll start with the more conventional one, right? The more conventional one is really these uh, in-person components, right? Mm-hmm. And this includes, uh, for example, attending the trade show that I had talked about, the RSNA, right? So at the trade show at, at RSNA, we try to showcase our mature technologies that have been in the market for a while. Um, normally, this would be for... Um, countries for, for other countries, right, that, that have not maybe heard of our company before. Uh, so this is a great opportunity for us to showcase this to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also reveal innovative technologies at the RSNA. And um, this ideally would give us the opportunity to gather user feedback as well, right? So at this point, the, the, the new technologies might not necessarily be complete, but um, you know, there would be a prototype and ideally mm-hmm. the prototype would have gone through a few rounds of internal uh, refinement. Um, and then at this point at the RSNA, we try to showcase it to, to future customers uh, just to see how they like it and ways to improve it. Um, and then at this point, we also try to identify potential distributors so that um, if they are interested, we could have them distribute our products in, in their countries to expand our, our reach. Do you ever worry about competition stealing ideas, or you know, do, or or um, seeing it and trying to do it, bring it to market quicker? Absolutely, I think that's always that's always a, a risk in mm-hmm. terms of revealing these technologies. Um, now, at the at the RSNA, at least, it's not uncommon for people to have these separate rooms in which people can sort of you know hide or may, maybe store their newest technologies um, as an as as a way to really you know try try to make sure that these really innovative ideas um, sort of stay core to our company as opposed to maybe being um, taken away by others. Um, sure. So, so yeah, there, there are definitely mechanisms there that most companies respect. Um, and so, so that's kind of the route that we go about sort of preserving our really new technologies. But in terms of maybe our mature technologies, we're maybe we're less worried about that to a large extent because um, um, especially in the medical industry, right? A lot of these core technologies um, if they were to mess, or if you, I guess, if they were to not function properly, right, you really need to have that deep understanding of exactly how it's built in the first place for you to be able to um, address any problems in a, in a timely manner, mm-hmm. right? So, so this, this type of um, um, troubleshooting um, capability is not something that other companies can very easily take away, you know, just by looking at the product itself. And so to a large extent, we feel confident about that uh, when it comes to our mature technologies. So that that was a great overview of, of how you, you know, get it ready for market. Tell me a little bit about the four pillars of the UDE app and yeah. um, how you used those, uh, you know, those focal points in your business development and, you know, your, your other sales strategies to 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 make it you know desirable for potential customers yeah absolutely so the four pillars of the ude app starts with um kind of the the sales strategy that we've we've decided to use uh so this is the the subscription right mm-hmm. um I, I briefly mentioned this earlier but the ios um platform is is great because 
it is really easy for us to maintain the app, right? One single update and everyone who uses this app can get that update right away, right? As sure. opposed to having to you know, install this update uh, locally, traveling to different countries or different sites. So that, that has been a huge plus. And on top of that, um, by publishing our app on the App Store, we get to reach a much larger a global market uh, very, very quickly. So, so that I think is, is this one main feature of UDE uh, when it comes to the sales strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, the second feature is definitely the offline services, right? Um, uh, so, so the ability for users to download images securely and, and view them whenever they want, especially when they go to places without maybe stable internet connection, we think that that could provide values uh, to, to, for example, people who are working in under-resourced countries uh, without a lot of, like, like I said, Wi-Fi connection and things like that. Sure. Um, and then the third, and I think this is one of the more really, really important features of UDE is the fact that we're using the iPad Pro and we have, and, and that has been cleared. The, the, the um, display has been FDA cleared for mm-hmm. uh, making diagnosis, right? So we think that this is really important because um, the UDE app in this case, not only converts the iPad Pro to a browsing tool, right? It converts it actually to a diagnostic device um, for radiologists to be able to confidently uh, make diagnoses and ideally provide care for more people more easily. And then the very last one is is our integrated core ML AI models. Um, so at this point, I wanted to uh, bring up one of the successful examples that is already integrated into our app. Um, this is our uh, mammogram lesion detection algorithm. The algorithm is de- uh, uh, developed by the Institute for Information Industry. Um, this is a, an organization in Taiwan. So they have developed this algorithm that has that's able to classify masses and calcification within the breasts um, with over 90% accuracy, mm. right? Wow. Um, so, so with this type of performance, it would be really nice if the, the radiologists can you know, call up this model and then use it on, on cases that he or she is not as certain about. And so this is really where the UDE app comes in, right? The UDE essentially serves as a bridge between the AI models, the PAC systems, and the, the medical modalities so that the radiologists can easily, you know, reference these models whenever they choose to. Wow. And I, I got to believe that that's saving lives. How, how long has the app been on the, on the market now? I think it's been there for at least the past three years. What what's next? What are what are what's on the horizon for for the app and, and where where are you seeing use cases today that you didn't necessarily expect? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. Um, in order to answer what's next, I think uh, maybe I can first uh, talk about who we are designing these products for and how we plan to advertise to them, right? Because yes. this then relates to the type of future steps that we might take, right? So the two major customers that we're looking for, the first one is gonna be the hospitals, right? Um, we're, we're in, in particular, we're trying to tell them that the, the UDE is great because it allows offline browsing, right? The radiologist, if he or she wants to write their report when they get home, they can do that easily by just downloading uh, the images to their iPad Pro, and then they can go back, look at the, the images on the FDA clear display and write the report. Um, 
And then related to that, we wanted to uh, talk about our, our AI edge computing or, or the, the integrated core ML AI model function so that uh, radiologists who work for this hospital can easily call up the, the state-of-the-art um, AI models and, and uh, make inferences like that. Um, and then the third one is to stress that our, our display is of diagnostic quality so that they can really trust, that they can really have trust in this, in this technology. So that, that's one customer base. We're also interested in appealing to the AI researchers, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've done some AI work myself in the past and you know, um, th there's definitely a big chasm between taking data from the patients that's um, already anonymized right, and de-identified and creating an AI model. So that particular process and actually putting the AI model into the radiologist's hand, that is a very difficult thing for a AI researcher to do himself or herself, right? Because you don't necessarily have the right infrastructure for you to make that conversion. So mm -hmm. we think that um, we can appeal um, to the AI researchers by telling them that our app, uh, like I mentioned before, can serve as this bridge um, and this can provide the AI researchers with a deployment platform. So in terms of where we plan to go from here, uh, we, we recognize that other uh, uh, people might have uh, maybe a more mixed set of, of needs. And so uh, we're planning to release other versions, right, of, of UDE app that allows people to um, have a more um, mixed and maybe less well-defined set of features, mm -hmm. um, but really try to, try to make sure that we can uh, reach as big of a market as, as possible. Um, so that, that would definitely be our goal. And how has winning an Edison award or how, how do you feel like that validates some of the work that's been done? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, we're just very, very proud to be recognized, right, by an um, international organization like the Edison Award, right? Um, I, I think that when it comes to helping us compete with other companies, having this type of recognition um, can serve, um, you know, in the, like you said, uh, as a validation that our product has, has value um, that's beyond just um, the value that uh, people in, in the hospitals or even in the AI research field are, are, are gaining, right? There is international recognition, um, there is trust that's put into the product. So we plan to uh, sort of grow our company using the trust that the Edison Award has, has provided us with. Well, and it sounds like there's more versions to come. So it sounds like future winners are on the way. <laughs> That's right. That would definitely <laughs> be our goal. <laughs> well, uh, Preston, it's been, you know, a, a really interesting to have you on today and, and uh, learn more about what it is that not just you do personally, but the company does, you know, hopefully, you know, continue to make you uh, mainstream name in in this space and and also be here to help uh, amplify you know the efforts that you're having um, both uh, you know locally and and abroad so you know thank you for for coming on today I really appreciate it absolutely and thank you so much for your time Justin well until next time this has been inspiring minds <laughs>